0: Witness protection can't erase his past. This is Nailgun Messiah, the first book in the Micah Reed series. One novel, read to you a chapter at a time. Join us each week for a new installment of the story, and get the book at jimheskett.com forward slash Podcast. And now, the host and author, Jim Heskett. Hey everybody, welcome back. It's good to be here with you people while you're walking your dog, mowing your lawn, or maybe you are i uh, making dinner. You could be making dinner. You could be making breakfast even. I don't know. I don't know what you're doing. I know what I'm doing, but I can't actually go out there and go into your phone and see what you're doing. Anyway, so it's really good to be here. Um, just uh, a little note at the beginning i'm still running that contest that i mentioned i don't think i mentioned it in a couple weeks to get a um paperback set of my whistleblower trilogy and you can get your hands on that at jimheskett.com forward slash contest that's going on until june 16th with prizes awarded on the 18th and the prize uh will be and the prize winner will be announced uh, on my personal fake facebook page at um, facebook.com forward slash author Jim Heskett, not the show's Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash nailgun messiah. Is that confusing? I hope it's not confusing. The contest isn't part of the show. The contest is from me, not the show. Not the show, it's from me. Okay, does that work? Is that confusing? Sorry about that. Okay, now two things. Well, Really, it's one thing that's the intersection of two things, and I'll, I'll explain that. We've got a a short reading this week on the show, so I thought that um, I would talk a little bit at the beginning. You know, just ramble a little bit. Um, no, I'm actually going to talk about something, but but because I'm doing that giveaway for my whistleblower trilogy, and because we got a short reading this week, I wanted to talk a little bit about the origin of Nailgun Messiah, um, the book, not the origin of Micah Reed. I'm going to save that for a future episode where I talk about where the idea for Micah came from and how I developed him over time, but the origin of Nailgun Messiah. So I had written and published a book called Reagan's Ashes, which I'm pretty sure I've mentioned on the show before. It's about a young woman who backpacks into Rocky Mountain National Park to... Um, to spread her father's uh, ashes. But then she discovers something in the urn that puts her life in danger. And so then the book is about that. Well, after I finished Nailgun Messiah, I was trying to... F- uh, sorry. After I finished Reagan's ashes, I was trying to figure out what to write next. And I had the the seed of an idea for the book that became later became Nailgun Messiah. I wanted to write a book about a young man who... Basically, the idea at that time was a young man who infiltrates a religious cult in order to save his sister. So I sat down, I wrote out a a treatment. Now, this is real inside the the author studio stuff I'm I'm getting into right here. So uh, please don't tune out. I'm coming around to a point eventually. So I I sat down and I wrote out this whole, I wrote out a treatment and then I wrote out a very detailed outline, you know, which chapter and scene breakdown. I had everything done. And then I sat down, and I was about to write it. But then, for some reason, I just couldn't get excited about it. I couldn't find, I couldn't find the 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 personal touch in it that would make it exciting. I couldn't find the thing that made that made me want to drive on. You know, most books that I write, I feel compelled to write them. Um, I, and when I say that, it sounds like there's voices in my head telling me to write. But no, it's just that I. I I have a drive. I, I have a story in my head, and it's got to get out. And this story, it just didn't feel like that. And so this is the amusing part, the, how it ties into the Whistleblower trilogy. See? I did bring it back around. So what happened was I was trying to think about the story. It's like, why doesn't this story work for me? Why can't I find – why can't I write it? I was uh, with my wife and some friends, and we were out at a, a comedy club, and there was a comedian on the stage And he made a joke about somebody turning water into wine. And this idea smacked me upside the head and said, what would you do if you were sitting at a bar and you saw some guy across the bar turn water into wine? What would that be like? And then I went home that night after the comedy club and I furiously wrote out the first chapter of a book and I had no idea where it was going to go after that. And that that chapter that I just scribbled out became the first chapter of the book wounded animals, which became the first book of the whistleblower trilogy, which is wounded animals, the legend of Kareem and both ends burning. And then, so, you know, I spent like six months writing that trilogy of books um, because that was like, I had this passion. I had this idea and the idea got larger and I figured out, you know, who this guy was who was turning the water into wine. Was he really turning water into wine, or is it just a trick? And if it's a trick, why is he doing it? And who's watching him do this, and what's this guy's story, and how do they interact with each other? This is what this is what makes writing stories so great, is the ability to to make stuff up and find connections and create worlds. So I'm writing this Whistleblower trilogy. I'm also writing, you know, after that I wrote some other stuff I had I write a dystopian series. It's just two books. It's called The Five Sun Saga, Five Sun Saga 1 and Five Sun Saga 2. So I wrote those two books, and I wrote a short story collection. And meanwhile, this Nailgun Messiah, even though it wasn't called that at the time. Nailgun Messiah was, was just sitting on the shelf. I just you know had that outline in a folder on my computer. I say I'm sitting on the shelf, but of course, you know, it's a digital shelf. So I had that idea, I had the whole framework of a story sitting around, and I kind of thought that I was just gonna abandon it because I couldn't still couldn't get excited about it. You know, after I write a book, I go back and I look at my idea folder and I say, alright, what do I want to do next? What am I gonna write next? Well then, after I had finished whatever the last project was before I created Micah Reed, I created the character of Micah Reed. And I'm gonna talk about him specifically at some point in the future. Um, I don't want to go into all of his backstory right now, but the point is I created this character named Micah Reed, and I, he was a series character. I knew that I, I <clears throat> had created enough info about him that I could write a whole series of books about him, and then I went back and I looked at my original idea for Nailgun Messiah, which I don't even know if it, if it had a name at that time. The, the name Nailgun Messiah didn't come until much later. But I looked at at my outline and I said, what if I took out the main character who I'd envisioned before and put Micah in this situation? And then I was able to get excited about it. I mean, things in the story had to change because there there are certain things that happened in the outline and say, well, Micah would react differently to this and then the story would go in this direction. But then I see the thing was, once I swapped out that generic main character for Micah and put Micah in the story... I found a way to get excited about it. I found a way to get that passion again about the story. And all of this to say, if I hadn't ever revisited this story, Nailgun Messiah wouldn't exist. And I don't know if Micah would have existed. if I i don't know if I would have found a a, um, a good book to put him in. And, well, I suppose, I suppose that's it. I suppose that's the whole story. I don't know if I thought that story was going to go on for a half an hour or something, but... That's basically the the story of the origins of Nailgun Messiah. Okay, so our reading this week is a chapter about Lila. You, you of course, remember who Lila is. She's the one who quote-unquote runs the house according to Magda's words, and Magda is Micah's sister. Um, you know, if you guys are like listening to these far in the future and you're listening to them all in a the row, these recaps are probably um, annoying, and I, I apologize for that, but If you're listening to them live, I know it's been a couple days since you heard an episode, and I know brains like to forget stuff, so that's why I do these little recaps, and I'm trying not to recap the whole story. I'm just trying to tell you what you need to know to get in the headspace, right, to appreciate this episode. So today we're going to be reading a Lila chapter. And um, what you need to know here is that the last time we saw Eagle, remember Eagle is the mysterious housemate who wears the, he's got the long black hair and wears the black duster jacket and carries around a scarred up baseball bat. The last time we saw him, he had chased off the Catholic priest um, who was trying, Father Thomas Benedict, who was trying to get a message to Hannah. Eagle had chased him off, and then Eagle went in town to go to the bar, and Micah followed Eagle to the bar, and then Eagle disappeared around a street corner. So now it's the next day, and let's just go ahead and get to our reading. I'll stop uh, blabbing. Lila climbed the rickety steps of the basement, wiping dirty hands on her pants. Dust and cobwebs hung in the still air, suspended like fish in frozen water. The dead skin and spiders would end up ruling the world eventually, or whatever was left of it after the humans abandoned it for a better place. She unlocked the door from the inside to let herself out, then she shut the door and locked it from the outside. The key lived on a chain around her neck and Eagle had the only other copy in the world. Their friend in the basement had to remain a secret. So much hinged on that little fact that she actively had to force herself not to think of it often. She could become consumed with it, let herself be dragged into panic attacks because of it. When she turned, Eagle filled her vision like a dark ghost in the hallway with his long black coat and shirt. Her heart sizzled like a lightning bolt that dissipated as it spread out through her chest and down her spine. You scared the crap out of me, she said. His face was grim and tensed. We need to talk. He nodded to the kitchen and led her out the back door. The sunny winter day had reduced much of yesterday's snowfall into water, killing all but the clumps that lived in the shadows of bigger objects, leaving the yard a sea of brown muck. They strolled through the mud toward the barbed wire fence, and he paused, wrapping his hands around it. He touched one of the barbs with a fingertip. "'What?' she said. "'The priest from the Catholic church in town.' Lila immediately knew who he was talking about. She'd seen him, that Father Benedict, casting scowls at her whenever they crossed paths at the grocery store or strolled past each other in Chepetta Park. What about him? He was here last night, at the house. What are you talking about, she said. Here for Bible study? I would have seen him. Eagle shook his head, sneaking around outside, looking into windows. I confronted him, and he ran off. Lila's anger rose. The skin on her arms tingled and crawled, and she crossed her arms and dug her fingers into her flesh to neutralize it. Why didn't you tell me about this yesterday when it happened? I had an errand to run, and then I had to go to work. She pursed her lips, and you couldn't have called me? I was busy. He didn't come inside or see anything he shouldn't have, so I didn't think of it as an emergency. Her hands began to shake, and she slipped them into her pocket so Eagle wouldn't see. Did you at least find out what he wanted? Eagle shook his head. The Indian could be so damn stubborn and blank sometimes that it drove her insane, as if he lived in his own world of unconnected priorities an island from the rest of them. I can take care of this if you want, he said. Lila shook her head. No, we need to be careful. With the website, we don't need the extra scrutiny. I'll find some other way. His head tilted an inch enough to give his eyes the impression of judgment. This added to her ire, but she wasn't mad at Eagle. Not his fault. Before she could get any angrier, she spun, muttered something about needing alone time, and stormed back into the house. So that priest Benedict thought he could spy on them? Skulking around, gathering information, trying to find holes to invade? This couldn't have been random. What was his plan? She stomped through the kitchen, brushing past the meek little girl, Hannah, and then ducked into her bedroom. Being alone and in the safety of her space, she immediately felt a few ticks better. More controlled. Panic still threatened to overtake her, but at least it wouldn't be a public display in her own room. Lila dropped to her knees and reached under the bed to retrieve her box of letters from Cyrus. Mostly, they contained Bible verses with some interpretations, hardly any personal information. But between visits to Lyman Correctional Facility, they were all she had of him, at least for another ten days. She clutched a handful of his letters to her chest and breathed in her nose and out her mouth, trying to calm herself down. In. Out. How would Cyrus handle this situation with the priest? Would he think it no big deal and continue preaching about truth without a care? Or would he learn what this priest knew and then find some discreet way to deal with him as Eagle had suggested? She held one of the letters under her nose, but could no longer smell Cyrus. Whatever vague scent of his had long faded from the ink and paper. Now they only smelled like the tainted flesh of whatever prison employee had read them before they were allowed to leave the prison. A new thought, something sinister, crossed her mind. What if the priest was not here directly to spy on her? Maybe he could have been following up with some kind of plan he'd set in motion. The website. Traffic to the true man pages had been abysmal, and she'd been so far baffled as to why it hadn't taken off yet. What if the priest had done something to hurt their visibility on the internet? Maybe he'd badmouth them on public forums, or contacted the web host to stunt the site's loading speed for visitors, or something like that. A Catholic priest would have every reason to keep their truth hidden. He'd be out of a job when the lies of his archaic religion became public, the lies of the church on full display. And now, she had an idea why the priest had been tiptoeing around outside the house. He'd wanted to gloat about their failure. Or maybe to install some kind of remote device to interfere with her internet signal. Perhaps to make her think the website was doing better than it actually was. Was such a device possible? Lila unlocked her nightstand and took out her cell phone, then went into the bathroom and ran the sink water so she wouldn't be heard. She dialed the number for Channel 7 in Denver. Channel seven, how can I direct your call? Lila recognized the voice of the woman on the line. She took a deep breath before speaking. I need to talk to a news producer. The help desk person sighed. Ma'am, I'm not gonna put you through. After last time, I was told not to let you even leave voicemails. What I have to say is important. The people need to hear it. You are not going to be featured on the news, not for a local piece, not for a technology segment, and not for a sit-down interview. It is not going to happen. Lila gritted her teeth as rage built up at her and threatened to take over. She tried to keep it down, but she couldn't help herself. You lying agents of Babylon! You can't keep the truth from coming out! You- The connection severed, and Lila threw her phone against the bathroom wall. It clanged against a tile and fell into the bathtub, where it skittered around and came to a stop just above the drain. Okay, everybody, that is our reading for this episode. And um, so things are getting kind of interesting, I think. So one thing that's a couple things that stuck out to me, you know, before we don't know what Eagle does for a living. And in the last reading, Micah thought that Eagle had no job, which he thought was strange because everyone, Lila said everyone had to work. But now we know that Eagle has a job because he talked about how he had to run an errand and then he had to go to work. But we don't know what Eagle does for a living yet. And also, there's more interesting things here about the basement. They talk, Lila was thinking about her quote unquote friend in the basement and how that had to be a secret. So, we don't know what's going on down there, but it's something important because she locked the door. She locked the door from the inside while she was down there, and then she locked the door from the outside when she uh, left the basement. So. Uh, thanks, everybody, for joining me this week. I have a little programming note, some bad news. There is not going to be an episode of the show this Friday um, for reasons I don't really – it ain't none of your business. But there's no episode this Friday and there will be – we will be back next Tuesday. So I appreciate everyone hanging out and um, I'll see you guys soon. Bye. Thanks for listening to this week's installment of Nailgun Messiah. Be sure to rate and review the show on iTunes and tell your friends about it. Don't deprive them of this show. Go to www.jimheskett.com forward slash nailgun podcast for information. And we'll see you next week.